last year was a very challenging year for the regional banks. A number of them did collapse, including Silicon Valley, First Republic as well. This year, we did have a little bit of a relapse. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As prices prove to be more stubborn than expected, portfolio managers Charles Missy, Alfred Lee, and your host Mackenzie Box digest the latest U.S. CPI print and the broader inflation picture. They also discuss positioning equities ahead of potential rate cuts, U.S. banks, and covered call strategies. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFs.com. Hello and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Podcast with our ETF Portfolio Management Team. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, in product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I'm joined by Alfred Lee and Charles Missy, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So special thank you to both Charles and Alfred for joining me today. Let's get into it. Alfred, we'll start with you. Something we've seen um, for quite some time and is constantly on the minds of investors and we see in the media. Can you give us an update on the inflation picture, both north and south of the border? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, to your point, it's definitely very top of mind for a lot of investors. Um, you know, three years ago, the CPI print was really a non-event, and here we are in 2024, still very focused on every single CPI print that comes out. So yesterday, uh, definitely no exception to that. Um, so a pretty big day just with the U.S. CPI print yesterday. The month-over-month -month number came in at 0.3%, um, but obviously, you know, it was the year-over-year -year number that investors were focused on. So uh, the year-over-year -year number came in at 3.1% yesterday. So I'll start with the good news is that, you know, when you look at the 3.1%, we are trending in the right direction. So just a note, uh, the month earlier was at 3.4%. So we again, we are trending in the right direction. But what the market anticipated, however, was that the market wanted 2.9%. So from a psychological level, I think the market reacted just because the market wanted that 2% handle. Um, the Fed's long-term CPI target rate is 2%. So having that 2% uh, handle, I think, would have been um, psychologically very positive for the market. But obviously, we did not get that. Uh, but just one thing to keep in mind, you know, that's just one data point. And as we have said all along, uh, inflation is not going to necessarily come down in the straight line. There's going to be ups and downs. Um, but as long as we are trending in the right direction, I think that is uh, the main takeaway. So when I look at risk assets, you know, just to recap what they did yesterday, uh, they were down across the board with interest rate sensitive areas leading the way. Uh, so the S&P 500 was down 1.4%. TSX was down 2.3%. Uh, utilities, so just using our equal weight utility TF as a benchmark or a proxy, that was down 2%. And REITs using our equal weight REIT ETF as a proxy, that was down 2.99%. Today, you know, we're already seeing the markets bounce back. Um, but again, I think why the markets were concerned yesterday was that over the last couple of months, we've been hearing a lot of whispers about the Red Sea, 
um, how cargo ships have been attacked. Um, so a lot of these cargo ships have had to take the longer route, avoiding the Suez Canal, uh, which is obviously going to add to shipping costs. So the estimated potential add to the CPI numbers is going to be um, between 04 to 0.7% estimated. The market has noted, or a lot of investors have noted that, you know, in the January numbers, these inflation impact from the, the from the Red Sea probably will not be felt until um, the February numbers, the March numbers potentially. Um, so I think the market is a little bit jittery just in terms of the impacts of the Red Sea in terms of uh, inflation. So in the last 16 months, I would say, you know, central banks have done um, a pretty fantastic job just in terms of reining in inflation. Uh, one thing to note that I do think a lot of this disinflationary pressure has been due to the supply side catching up. So um, we started the year with the market anticipating five to six rate cuts. Uh, we've been saying all along that this is probably way too dovish. Uh, now the market is pricing in four rate cuts for 2024. But you know, one thing that we've been saying is that the runway for rate cuts, it's a lot shorter than people think, because you know, when we look at uh, the first rate cut, we'll get the PCE numbers later this month. Um, but in terms of rate cuts, we probably won't get a rate cut until May, uh, which means that for rate cuts to hit that five to six rate cuts, we're probably cutting uh, every meeting after that. And I just don't I just don't see that, especially with November and December, probably off the tables with the U.S. presidential elections. But overall, even if we don't get those amount of rate cuts, I, th I still think it's going to be a pretty good environment for equities. Uh, just don't anticipate the 20 plus percent that we got last year uh, for the S&P 500. Keep in mind, in addition to the rate cuts, we still have quantitative tightening, which is expected to come uh, to an end this year, which again is going to be dovish and should be supportive for equities um, over the long run. But you know, the shape of the yield curve, I think, is going to normalize this year. Uh, central banks, once they start cutting, when and if uh, the short end of the rate the short end of the yield curve should come down. Long rates potentially come up just as the market anticipates. You know, yields have to be long higher for a longer period of time. Uh, so just in terms of portfolio positioning, um, the equity side of the portfolio, I think focusing on lower growth or sorry, more defensive growth areas like low volatility, quality, I think those are still, you know, very good core positions to a portfolio. So things like ZLB, which is our Canadian equity low vol portfolio. I think that's a good core uh, exposure to Canadian equities. And then things like quality. Uh, so things like ZUQ, which is our uh, US high quality ETF. That's a good way to get core exposure to, you know, companies with strong balance sheets in your portfolio. And just to finish off with fixed income, ZTIP, I think is one to potentially look at um, just as having some insurance in your fixed income portfolio for, you know, potentially uh, if inflation were to come back, we're not saying it is, but um, when you look at two-year break-even rates right now, uh, two-year break-even rate is 2.6%. So consider that the cost of insurance of having um, inflation uh, insurance in the fixed income side of your portfolio. I don't think it's necessarily cheap, but I don't think it's necessarily expensive neither. So having a small position of ZTIP, uh, which focuses on, uh, U.S. short-term uh, inflation-protected securities, uh, just maybe a 2 to 3% position in your portfolio, um, will we'll provide uh, investors with a small insurance position in case inflation were to come back. Great. Thanks, Alfred.
Want to reduce the risk of market timing or increase near-term growth? Our new range of BMO Structured Outcome ETFs can help you dial down risk or dial up equity returns. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZJAN, ZOCT, ZUEA, and ZEBA. Charles, kind of building on that, there is debate around how many rate cuts and when those rate cuts might occur later in the year. Uh, As Alfred kind of alluded to, the market seems to be pricing in around four rate cuts and a tailwind uh, from rates coming down. So how should clients think about positioning their portfolio in these markets, um, specifically on an equity side? Thanks, Mackenzie. This is a very uh, topical question. Uh, but uh, if, if you look at the lay of land, uh, what we have is the market has have gone up since August uh, and hitting uh, autumn high uh, two days ago. Also, what we have is S&P earnings are coming stronger than expected. But more importantly, as you said, uh, the market has been pricing in three to four uh, rate cut by year end. And this has fueled the recent rally. The Fed has said that uh, they are in no hurry uh, in delivering a rate cut, not that they should be, but they are considering two, two rate cuts uh, by year end. In doing so, in you know, accepting that rate should not be the high, uh, they have, they've almost, the Fed, they've almost given permission to the market to dream of and expect those rate cuts. So whatever the ultimate number of rate cuts uh, and the timing might be, are going to be seen, but what we learned from yesterday, higher print, uh, higher inflation print, is that the market needs more than just strong earnings to keep this, uh, to sustain this uh, current momentum. The market actually need actually need those red cats to come alive. And if there is any uh, uh, pathway soft landing or no landing, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, you know that path won't be smooth, right? Uh, the expectation, the expectation in the market is that uh, uh, when rate cuts start, uh, there will be a broadening participation of more equity to the rally, and we happen to uh, agree with the long-term outlook of the market and remain positive on you know, the equity market outlook. That's why we're asking clients to selectively diversify their portfolio into those cyclical uh, sector, industrial, utilities, banks that have lagged the market because we believe that as we start happening, those sectors are going to have to catch up to the rest of the, the market. But because of a uh, certain path forward in terms of inflation on rate cut, we are now explicitly calling for some element of risk management and protection in a client portfolio, because we believe that beyond those inflation and rate chief concerns, uh, there are additional macro risks that cannot be discounted. Uh, and those include uh, geo, geopolitics tension, commercial real estate, that's uh, one of the biggest risks that people uh, seem to be discounting out there. And the fact that, you know, even after rate cut, the, the rate might just normalize at a higher level. And uh, that could be impact how, uh, you know, every investor and the markets would be borrowing uh, going forward. And uh, last but not, uh, uh, not least is now, the risk of a prolonged or maybe worsening slump in China right, that might spill over the rest of the global market right now. You know, we, right now, we have had uh, some deflation from China that, that helped uh, the CPI to come down you know, all over the developed country. But uh, should uh, uh, China start uh, you know, 
uh, getting the footing together, uh, that might bring some inflation in our uh, our side. So there's some risk out there that cannot be uh, discounted. Uh, that's why, uh, you know, while the cost of protecting portfolio are still cheap, uh, we are advising clients to buy some kind of protection to protect themselves against uh, some of the assumptions being priced in the market, not realizing, or should some of the macro risks I just mentioned uh, come to life. And, and, and I think that as a, as a client uh, diversify their portfolio, uh, which they should be doing, uh, trying to add value to the portfolio, they should have the back of, back of, you know, back of pocket uh, uh, insurance and protection uh, in case, you know, the market and running unfold. For investors who are capable of implementing those uh, hedges by themselves, you know, by all means, you know, uh, we, uh, you know, advise them to do so. But what we recommend uh, for them is to look at BMO U.S. Equity Buffer ETF solution that protect that portfolio. And uh, in particular, they should be looking at ticker ZGen and ZOct. Uh, in those strategies, uh, what we do that is we use put spread to try to uh, engineer some hedges for the portfolio. Uh, and what we do actually in there, we go by, uh, we buy Adobani uh, hedge and to create the put spread that would hedge the client portfolio uh, between zero and 15. So if uh, the market goes down uh, any, any, anywhere up to down to 15, uh, the client portfolio will experience no, uh, no loss at all, you know. And, uh, you know, the reason we, we came up with that, you know, uh, range, uh, protection range, if you will, is because uh, we, you know, studied the market and we just realized that uh, most of the time that's where actually the, the, the pullback of the market happened. You know, we, we have exceptionally, we have a level where uh, the market can go down more than that, but that's exactly what the portfolio, uh, you know, what the market tend to, uh, um, at, you know, uh, underperform. So, you know, and to pay for the, the cost of uh, the hedge, what we usually do, and to make it uh, costless for uh, for the client, we go sell some upside participation to make it cost neutral and allow the, the client, while they diversify away uh, their uh, the portfolio and try to add value uh, to the, to the investment, uh, to allow them to remain invested in the market without any undue uh, undue uh, uh, risk of loss. So uh, overall, what we try we asking the client is to say, you know, this the market seem to be conducive. The rate cut uh, as price uh, in the in the market seem to be uh, very aggressive. Uh, but uh, you know, sh you know, as you go around to actually diversify the portfolio, you should have those hedge uh, in your portfolio that would allow you just to go, uh, go, go around, uh, go around, uh, you know, managing your portfolio. Great, thanks, Charles. And uh, just to recap, that was uh, our two buffer ETFs. So the BMO U.S. Equity Buffer Hedge to CAD ETF January, which is ZJAN. And then as well, we have the October one, which is the BMO U.S. Equity Buffer Hedge to CAD ETF October ticker ZOC. And those, uh, those are both live now. Switching gears to you, Alfred, U.S. regional bank situation. This is something that's very topical right now as well. What kind of shape is the consumer in? And are there any yellow or red flags to watch out for? And how should investors think about this? And how should they play this sector right now, if at all? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, when you look at the regional banks uh, specifically, I think um, you know that's my top pick for 
high risk, high reward uh, trade this year. Uh, so the subsector, I think, you know, it's either going to be the top performer or going to be the bottom performer. Um, so obviously last year was a very challenging year for the regional banks. Uh, a number of them did collapse, including Silicon Valley, First Republic as well. Uh, this year, we did have a little bit of a relapse. Um, we saw that New York Community Bank Corp, uh, that was down 40%, I think, at the end of January. So obviously, still a lot of concerns uh, brewing in that regional uh, banking space. Uh, from a consumer perspective, um, you know, when you look at the U.S. consumer, I'd still say they're relatively healthy. Um, consumer confidence, for example, it's still on the rise. So if you look at the trend in the Michigan um, consumer confidence uh, index, for example, that's been trending up over the last uh, couple of months. The more pressing concern, I would say, in terms of the regional banks, I would say, is twofold. Um, so I think Charles raised a pretty good point about commercial real estate. Um, so down in the U.S., when you look at the commercial real estate and how they finance, that's done at the uh, regional bank level. So it's estimated that regional banks have around four, four, four and a half times the regional real estate exposure relative to the big uh, money center banks down in the U.S. Uh, it's also estimated that about 70% of the commercial real estate loans are held at the regional banks as well. And obviously, you know, in the post-pandemic world, uh, vacancy rates still remain relatively high, uh, which means that default rates or default risk is considerably higher than where it was um, a couple of years ago. There's also concern that borrowers have to roll over their debt. So even if we do get a number of rate cuts, rolling over that debt, it is going to be more costly than, you know, than what it would have been uh, two to three years ago as well. The other concern um, for those uh, listeners that remember from last year, uh, the main concern with the regional banks last year was obviously the health and maturity portfolio. So prior to the run-up in interest rates, so you know two to three years ago, um, because a lot of these regional banks were not getting yield, um, you know, by loaning out their deposits, what they did was they took their deposits, reinvested it in, you know, high quality. Um, treasuries, for example, but they had to take duration risk in order to get some yield. So as interest rates started going up in the last 16 months, a lot of these portfolios were essentially underwater, which prompted the Fed to introduce the bank term funding program facility, which allowed a lot of these regional banks to exchange a lot of those treasuries for par value. So uh, one thing to keep in mind is that that bank term funding program is ex uh, set to expire at the uh, in less than a month. Um, so that potentially causes more risk for these regional banks as well, if it doesn't get extended. So the worst case scenario for the regional banks is that if we do get a reacceleration of inflation, um, that would obviously force rates to go um, back on the rise, uh, which would obviously put a lot of stress on the regionals. Um, so that's why, you know, regionals, I think it comes with a lot of risk. But on the flip side, if we do get these aggressive rate cuts that the market anticipates, you know, as I mentioned, I don't think we're going to get all of these rate cuts. Um, but I do think, you know, if we do get rate cuts, that will take a lot of pressure off of the uh, regional banks, especially with those health and maturity uh, portfolios, especially with those commercial real estate uh, loans portfolios as well. So all in all, I think when you look at U.S. regional banks, I do think they are highly leveraged to interest rates. Um you know, again, personally, I don't think we're going to see all the rate cuts that the market is pricing in. Um, but again, when you look at the U.S. regional banks and you look at U.S. banks from an investment perspective, I think if you do have 
an appetite for risk, or if you do have a long-term objectives, let's say if you're willing to look, you know, three to five years out, um, it's potentially something to put on the radar. Uh, but obviously, if you want to make that investment, do proceed with caution. Um, I think getting that exposure through an ETF is probably the right way to go, uh, just because you are getting a diversified portfolio. Uh, you're also getting exposure to some of the larger uh, money center banks as well. So we do have a number of U.S. Uh, bank ETFs. We have ZBK, which is the equal weight U.S. bank ETF. We have the currency hedge version as well, which is ZUB. Uh, we also have the covered call version, which is ZWK. Um, so that one includes both money center banks and regional banks, and we're doing the call options on top of those uh, to get some additional yield in the portfolio as well. Great. Thanks, Alfred. The ETF space is a thriving industry, providing Canadian investors new options for growth. What's driving this demand and what key benefits do they provide? Find the answers to these questions and more in our BMO ETF 2024 Industry Outlook, available now. Access the report and get the latest insights anytime at bmogam.com. That's bmogam.com. Last but not least, Charles, as the ETF industry continues to evolve, we're seeing more and more products coming to market. And we've seen a lot of discussion around covered call ETFs uh, in the media. Can you walk us through BMO's approach to covered calls and maybe speak to the importance of sustainable yield? There have been indeed a lot of, uh, you know, uh, some headline in the press, uh, some chatter that have unfortunately painted all covered call with the same stroke as, uh, as you know, strategies that limit portfolio growth and sometimes you know over distribute with without uh, any regard to uh, to the NAV. Uh, what we al- always said uh, to investors who have those concerns is to come to talk to us because uh, what they will realize that uh, is that not all cover call strategies, all cover call funds are created equal. We are. Uh, uh, we've doing the, we've been doing this for a number of years, and we pride ourselves and go our way to try offering solution to that incorporate a dual objective of generating the necessary cash flow to cover investor need, but also to allow their portfolio to participate in any uh, market upside for some capital part- uh, cap- capital appreciation. Investor, you know, you know, people on, on the line here might have heard this, but uh, just to repeat it here, the way we do this is we start by building underlying portfolios of quality stock that are leader in the sector and that pay consistent and strong dividend. And those dividend uh, constitu- amount constitute the basic of the building block of our yield we distribute. Next, what we do is we overlay and sell some call on half of the portfolio uh, and assist on half of the portfolio. And this is on 50% of each of the name in the portfolio. And the reason we do so is uh, because to allow the remaining 50% of the portfolio uh, that is uncovered to fully participate in any potential market, market upside. In addition to the 50% portion of the portfolio we write call on, we don't sell out-of-money uh, option. We sell out-of-money uh, option, which means that even on the portion of the portfolio that is covered, 
the portfolio still participate uh, to upside market, albeit to a certain cap. And we think that this prudent implementation is a secret sauce because it allows for sustainable distribution that doesn't compromise on the capital appreciation mandate uh, part of, uh, of the strategy. And we only distribute, and we say that over and again, we only distribute what we earn. As such, we don't do any nav grind, right? And that is the concern that, uh, you know, most investors have there and, you know, that, uh, you know, some, um, you know, some people have mentioned in the, in the press. And, and if you look through, uh, you know, the suite of recovery call and what people are going to realize is that the performance is consistently defined at the sum of three parts, the return for the dividend plus the return for the, you know, the, the selling of option, the income from selling option, plus the return from the price appreciation of the equities. And what usually investors fail to uh, uh, to to look under the you know, under the wood is and uh, ignore to ask question about the the the, the price appreciation comp- component. And in doing so, uh, what uh, what they do is they, they allow you know uh, they allow those funds out there that you know over distribute uh, and sometimes grind the nerve. Uh, and don't capture, you know, uh, upside participation, participation, you know, to uh, to to get the, the headline. And what investors really should be doing is should be asking the question in terms of what's the breakdown on you know the yield on 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 the return I'm getting. And when you go to the exercise, what you realize and you start distinguishing the fund that over distribute because they just want the headline. And our approach, which is you know we try to make sure that the client get the dividend. Uh, they also got you know uh, additional income from the option, but we make sure that as part of the initial mandate, we allow the portfolio to grow because you know we all wanna and uh, take care of our needs but you know like every human being we want to you know make sure that our asset grow you know our hard earned money grow and then we can pass it mm, along to grandchildren to family and stuff. so we make sure that part of the money is not only to satisfy the current uh, you know asset owner cash flow need but they also allow for portfolio uh, to grow so uh and, and, and you know it's uh, it's only much you know we can manage the message for our end what we do to, we say to clients really uh, come to talk to one of us and uh, we could walk you through you can go through our website you will see those breakdown in terms of earning so instead of you know trying to scare you know people off with those you know press and you know and the industry is changing you know people, new players are coming in uh we can't control you know we cannot control what's happening out there but what we try to do is I am going to go through uh, uh, three specific uh, BMO cover call solutions that actually deliver on those three components, which is the dividend, the price appreciation, and, and, and the option income. And uh, I am going to mention, uh, you know, the BMO uh, cover call technology ETF, ticker ZWT, which offer investor the, you know, the exposure to the tech sector you know last year the fund with uh, you know its underlying uh, uh, market the nasdaq actually uh, by you know by more than 700 bips 
So and 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 we think that the fundamental the fundamental that drove the performance last year uh, are most likely to continue through this uh, uh, through this uh, new, through 2024 because uh, we believe that the AI uh, is still going to be a, a, a big driver into the tech uh, tech uh, tech industry and we have those exposure built into the fund. I have a, uh, the second fund I'm going to mention is the BMO Global High Dividend Cover Call uh, ETF, ZWG, that offer investor exposure to global high dividend equities stock. You know? and, and again, this is one of the, uh, one of the, 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 the cover call that give you exposure in North America, in Europe, in in Asia and uh, and in, in Australia, and last but least, uh, again uh, I'm going to mention the BMO Europe High Dividend Cover Call uh, ticker ZWP that specifically give uh, investor exposure to uh, to Europe. Uh, we think that uh, you know uh, the tide is turning in Europe uh, with uh, some uh, uh, some uh, economic uh, rebound and consumer spending that start increasing. Uh, we think that uh, you know those, the, the the regional uh, that the eurozone is going to be uh, uh, you know uh, out of a out of a slump uh, by the end of uh, the the year. We have Germany uh, doing better than uh, than expected. We think that uh, the cover call is a better way of having the exposure. Collecting the yield and also participating into the uh, into the market appreciation should that happen, happen in Europe. And the key to the messaging we're trying and to finish off the key to the messaging we're trying to do, uh, to ask investor and client to do here is to add to try to look under the hood, try to break down those performance you're getting. Uh, there is no many uh, uh, attribute to. Uh, uh, into those per- performance, there are dividend, the price appreciation, there's the income. So if 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 something is too good to be true, uh, you probably should be asking those questions and looking under the hood. Great, thanks, Charles. I think that's a key message. I think whenever you're looking at any investments, it's always key to look under the hood and make sure you really understand uh, what you're getting. So with that, those are all the questions that we have for this week. Uh, So just want to thank everyone for tuning in and continuing to send in their questions and comments each and every week. I also want to give a special thank you to both Alfred and Charles for providing some great insights. And with that, I will wish everyone happy Valentine's Day and we'll see you next week. Thank you to Mackenzie Box and Charles Missy and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about BMO U.S. Equity Buffer Hedge to Canadian Dollar ETF, January, ticker ZJAN, which can complement or substitute your core equity positions, providing a built-in cushion on the downside while keeping you invested in broad U.S. equities. The team also discussed BMO Covered Call ETFs, which are designed to deliver the cash flow you need with the growth you want. Look for our 13 covered call ETFs across a range of strategies, covering regions, countries, and sectors. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice.
The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.